Hi, my name is Mana Prast, and I'm a perinatal pathologist and stem cell biologist at the University of California, San Diego. So in the first part of my talk, I talked about human placental development and how the placenta develops from the layer of cells and the outer part of the embryo called trophoblast. These cells on the outside go on to proliferate and differentiate to form the um, placenta that we see at term. In this part of the talk, I'm going to tell you about how we can model human placental development in order to understand pregnancy complications such as preeclampsia. So the mouse has been used very commonly as an animal model to study the development of numerous organ systems. However, compared to other organs, the placenta is an evolutionarily divergent organ. So what that means is that the mouse placenta has a very different placental structure and different cell types, and in particular is very different in terms of the early developmental pathways that regulates its growth and development compared to human. In addition, placental diseases like preeclampsia are actually specific to higher primates. Therefore, the mouse is a suboptimal model for um, studying human placental development. So for this reason, a lot of scientists have turned to tissue culture using cell lines in the dish in order to understand human placental development. In particular, cell lines that are derived from placental tumors called choriocarcinoma have been used. However, these cells are genetically abnormal and they do not recapitulate the function of normal trophoblast very well. So for this reason, we turn to cytotrophoblast, primary cells that can be isolated from placentas at delivery as the gold standard. However, these cells can only be differentiated into syncytiotrophoblast and not into invasive extravillous trophoblast. More recently, human trophoblast stem cells have been derived that can be differentiated into both syncytiotrophoblast and extravillous trophoblast. However, these cells can only be derived from human embryos or early gestation human placentas. And because of their origin, we cannot be sure whether there would have been um, a pregnancy complication uh, in these cases. And hence, we don't know if we're studying normal or abnormal trophoblast. So what if we could start from cells from a placenta at delivery and take these cells back in time into a time when they were like embryonic stem cells and differentiate them into cytotrophoblast and syncytiotrophoblast and extravillous trophoblast. And what if we could do this not just with cells from a normal placenta, but also with cells from an abnormal placenta, including a placenta from a patient with preeclampsia? Then we could potentially study the pathways of trophoblast differentiation that gave rise to this particular diseased placenta? Well, in fact, we can. 
using technology that has been recently developed, we can isolate cells from a placenta, in particular from the umbilical cord. These are mesenchymal stem cells that can be transduced with four specific genes, KLF4, SOX2, OCT4, and MYC, known as KSOM for short, or reprogramming factors. When these genes are expressed, are induced in, uh, introduced into these mesenchymal stem cells, for a short period of time, these cells can be turned into induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs. iPSCs, for all practical purposes, behave like embryonic stem cells. And like embryonic stem cells, iPS cells can be differentiated into all different types of uh, embryonic tissues, including ectoderm tissues, like brain and skin cells, mesodermal tissues, like bone or blood cells, endoderm tissues, like lung and intestine. Now the question is, can iPSCs be differentiated also into placental cells or trophoblast? And in fact, the answer is yes. iPS cells, um, just like embryonic stem cells, have been shown by multiple groups using multiple different protocols to be able to be differentiated into both multinucleated syncytiotrophoblast that can secrete HCG and into invasive extravillous trophoblast which express HLAG on their surface. One of these particular protocols uses bone morphogenetic protein 4, or BMP4. This particular protocol has been studied most extensively. And about 10 years ago, um, our lab started using this protocol to study trophoblast differentiation. But before we could study abnormal trophoblast differentiation or, or diseased placentas using um, this protocol, we asked the question, does this protocol recapitulate normal trophoblast differentiation? That is, do the iPS cells differentiate first into cytotrophoblast progenitor cells before becoming terminally differentiated STB or EVT? Cytotrophoblasts in the placenta express a specific nuclear protein called P63. So we started by asking the question, do, does BMP4 induce expression of P63 in iPS cells? And we found that, in fact, it does. So after four or five days of BMP4 treatment, iPSCs lose their um, expression of OCT4 and gain expression of trophoblast markers, including cytokeratin-7 and the cytotrophoblast marker, P63. Then after a few more days of treatment with BMP4, they start to express markers of extravillous trophoblast, including HLAG, or markers of syncytiotrophoblast, including HCG. We then asked the question, is P63 required for trophoblast differentiation of iPSCs? 
So what we did was to downregulate expression of P63, and what we found was that while uh, P63 was not required for differentiation of iPSCs, it was specifically required for their differentiation into trophoblasts, because we did not see, in the absence of P63, we don't see um, induction of other trophoblast-associated markers, such as HLAG. Since then, we have established a more refined, what we call a two-step protocol for trophoblast differentiation of iPSCs. This protocol still uses BMP4. However, it separates uh, the differentiation into two steps. The first step is trophoblast lineage specification, by which iPSCs become cytotrophoblast progenitor cells. And step two, where the cytotrophoblast can in fact be replated, and in the presence of feeder condition media and BMP4, differentiate further into STB and EVT. This protocol um, offers the advantage of being able to um, pause, uh, pause differentiation at the cytotrophoblast stage and compare these iPSC-derived cytotrophoblasts to primary cytotrophoblasts that are derived from a placenta. And so in order to see whether um, this protocol can, in, in fact, recapitulate um, abnormal trophoblast differentiation, we started by um, studying hypoxia. Because hypoxia is, um, has been very well studied with primary cytotrophoblasts, and it's been shown to be able to inhibit differentiation into syncytiotrophoblasts. Um, it's been shown to um, inhibit HCG secretion. And hypoxia, through a specific factor, transcription factor called hypoxia-inducible factor, or HIF, has been shown to induce formation of extravillous trophoblast, or EVT. So we asked, how do iPSC-derived cytotrophoblasts respond to hypoxia? What we found is that, first of all, HCG secretion, um, as a marker of syncytiotrophoblast, is in fact inhibited under conditions of hypoxia or low oxygen tension. In addition, in the presence of an intact HIF complex, hypoxia was able to increase the number of extravillous trophoblasts in culture, while in the presence, in the absence of um, uh, the HIF complex, um, hypoxia was not able to induce extravillous trophoblast differentiation. We also studied um, another model in order to understand whether iPSC-derived cytotrophoblast can model abnormal trophoblast differentiation. It is known that cytotrophoblasts that are isolated from trisomy 21 placentas have uh, a difficult time undergoing cell-cell fusion and becoming syncytiotrophoblast. It is also known that when these cells are treated with the growth factor, Activin, this can overcome this cell-cell fusion defect. So in collaboration 
um, with a group in Texas, we were able to obtain several trisomy 21 iPSC lines, and we differentiated them um, into trophoblast and found that during the second step of trophoblast differentiation, the trisomy 21 iPS cells, when compared to uh, the disomy line that does not have any extra chromosomes, the trisomy 21 iPSCs um, showed a reduced fusion index. When we treated these cells with Activin, we found that this defect um, in fusion could, in fact, be rescued. So with these data in mind, we have moved on to model preeclampsia using iPSCs. We have begun by banking a series of mesenchymal stem cells from umbilical cords of um, placentas from preeclamptic patients, and we have used the reprogramming factors to generate iPSCs from these lines. And we are just now beginning to differentiate these cells into cytotrophoblasts and subsequently into STBs and EVTs to evaluate their phenotype. Based on previous publications, it is thought that preeclampsia is a, def uh, is a, a disease of abnormal trophoblast differentiation, and in particular, that EVT don't differentiate very well in this disease. So what we hope to find is that our IPSC model can also recapitulate this defect. However, the IPSCs offer another advantage. They provide a platform through which we can screen for small molecules and drugs for treatment of preeclampsia. Um, in other words, we can look for small molecules or drugs that can enhance differentiation of cytotrophoblast into extravillous trophoblast and potentially be able to prevent complications of this disease. So in summary, I've told you how the human placenta has been difficult to model, and in particular, that mice do not serve as a very good model for studying human um, placental development. I've shown you how induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs, offer a novel method for modeling trophoblast differentiation. And I've shown you data that establishes proof of concept that abnormalities of trophoblast differentiation can be modeled with iPSCs. In particular, we have shown that both changes in the microenvironment, such as hypoxia, and effects of abnormal chromosome number, such as trisomy 21, um, can, uh, can be recapitulated um, using iPSCs. And we hope that going forward, complex placental disorders, such as preeclampsia and intrauterine growth restriction, which arise based on a combination of both genetic aberration and the microenvironment, can in fact be modeled using iPSCs. And finally, I would like to end by thanking current and former members of my lab that are listed here. Um, collaborators, including Drs. Laurent and Dr. Ying Lu, and our funding sources, without which we wouldn't be able to do this work. Thank you.